This is Future Diaries, a podcast from the future, from the future. Welcome to Future Diaries, the podcast that transcends space and time. I'm Mike. And I'm Antonis, and we're intertemporal gliders. We search for and share stories across the multiverse, aiming to inspire listeners to build better presents and futures. We're also joined by our Future Diaries intratemporal scribe, Caitlin. That's me. As an intratemporal scribe, I aim to make the stories we encounter relatable to a wide audience. I think today's episode is really important. I do think it's a fascinating story, but I'm also hoping our listeners may be able to provide some assistance to our guests today. In our last episode, we spoke with Francisca, an algae aquaculturalist working to restore marine ecosystems, grow food to support a growing human population, and generally live her best life at sea. It sounded like a pretty idyllic existence, to be honest. In today's episode, our guest hails from a very different universe, one where the environment has been so severely compromised that scientists pronounced it destroyed. Growing food seems to be one of the biggest struggles people face, but social relations have also deteriorated to the point where people struggle to cooperate. As this week's guest explains in her diary entry, one cult-like group who called themselves the Children of the Earth, had managed to survive underground for 50 years, relying on advanced technologies to grow food and maintain a livable space. They had become convinced that life above ground would soon no longer be possible due to ecological collapse, and they sealed themselves off in an underground bunker. While relations in their pods started off well, they didn't end up that way. That's right. One human struggle that seems universal across the multiverse is deciding how to share power and how to govern groups. Humans have tried so many different arrangements, from monarchies and authoritarian regimes to theocracies, technocracies, democracies, anarchies, heck, even cacistocracies sometimes. In our experience as gliders, we have spoken to people across the multiverse where many different forms of government have prevailed. Typically. Multiple forms of government coexist in the same universe at the same time, although various forms may predominate at certain times and in certain places. In the universe where today's guest is from, this is certainly the case. It seems the competing ideas of how to best manage dwindling resources led a small group to remove themselves from the society altogether and attempt to go it on their own. And in their case... The children of the Earth and other people in their universe had the technology to succeed, and indeed they did for a number of years. But just as you were saying earlier, ideas about governing and sharing power differ significantly, even within small groups, and that ultimately proved to be their undoing. I think the part of the story I'm most interested in asking our guests about today is how people came to see the same reality so differently. On the one hand, the children of the Earth saw their ecological circumstances as so dire that they isolated themselves from their environment entirely. On the other hand, our guest today went on living in a society above ground, albeit a dwindling and struggling one. I think it's an interesting case of people interpreting and reacting to the same circumstances very differently based on their beliefs. I hadn't thought about it that way, but... 
I think that's some excellent analysis. I completely agree. I guess that's why you're an intratemporal scribe. Thanks. Just doing my job. Well, shall we have a listen to today's diary entry? Absolutely. Let's roll. December 27, 2089. Neustadt an der Havel, Old German Republic. Dear Diary, On a recent reconnaissance trip to the abandoned city of Berlin, I was walking through the ruins of the new Reichstag building when I heard a loud noise erupt under the street. It sounded as if a large argument or fight had broken out, which seemed impossible. No one had lived in Berlin for over 40 years. Shortly thereafter, however, I was shocked to see another human emerge from one of the buildings. As I soon learned, there were survivors from the before time who had been living in an underground bunker in what was once Berlin. Initially, they were very wary of me, but I explained that I meant them no harm and was just interested in knowing where they came from, as there were no other people in the desolate area. They told me they were part of a group called the Children of the Earth, a cult established in the chaotic time around 2035, when scientists had officially declared the environment as destroyed. From my conversation with them, it seemed they had attempted to create an underground society that would be able to withstand the threat of climate disasters through ecological farming techniques and by changing people's behaviours. The cult of around 50 people were very surprised to see me, as they thought that no one could have survived out in the open. I asked them why they had chosen this moment to leave their protected bunker. Mr. Orange, the person who had brought me back to the cult's underground lair, explained that all the technology and supplies had worked well and had not faltered, but interpersonal relationships in the bunker had become tense. The bunker was initially run in an anarchic fashion, without any ruling class or elite. Over the years, however, a group of five individuals had declared themselves leaders, hid all the weapons in a place only known to them, and ruled with terror. This unequal internal system benefited them, but was unfair to other bunker inhabitants. A mutiny had been on the horizon for a long time, and finally one of the most desperate members of the community somehow destroyed the generator powering the whole place, thereby unlocking the door without agreement from leaders and freeing the subjects. With their control over their subjects ended, they took the weapons and fled. I'm with the remaining members of the Children of the Earth now. One of them got the generator running again, but we've had a difficult time restoring the food and life support technologies. I think we're close to finishing the repairs to the intertemporal radio broadcaster, one I salvaged on a previous reconnaissance trip, so we think we'll be able to connect with other survivors in our universe or others sometime soon. Maybe someone will be able to advise us on repairs and building some defenses, because it's a matter of when, not if the old rulers of the children of the earth will return and we need to be ready wow what a story 
Welcome to the Future Diary Show, Danny. Thanks for having me on. Okay, to get started, how long has it been since you recorded this diary entry? Are you somewhere safe? Have the former leaders of the Children of the Earth returned? We're fine for now, thanks for your concern. Although it certainly feels like the calm before the storm. It's been a couple of weeks since I initially recorded this diary entry, and we only started broadcasting it a week ago when we got the intertemporal radio broadcast to operational again. We have not yet seen or heard from the former leaders of the Children of the Earth, but we assume they'll be back soon. Trying to survive on their own above ground right now and without access to certain agricultural technologies would be very difficult as not much grows without active cultivation. If they don't attack us soon, I imagine they'll attack or attempt to assimilate into one of the other groups living in the area, although that too would be challenging given how hard it is for each group to feed its own people right now. Where I am now is secure. One of our first tasks with the survivors among the children of the earth was to move them and their technology to a safe location. Only some of their technologies were easily transportable, and even so, it was gruelling work. Given our limited resources, we had to leave the more permanent installations behind. But we tried to strip their bunker of as much as we could, not just to use elsewhere, but also to prevent the former leaders from easily reinstalling themselves in the same place. Wow, that sounds like a lot of work. Thanks again for taking the time to speak with us today. No problem, happy to. Honestly, it's great to reconnect with people across the multiverse. As bad as things are here, if we've got any chance of survival longer term, we're going to need a lot of help from others. What we've been trying in our universe clearly isn't working. Well, we hope this conversation is useful in getting the word out to the audience about your situation. And that's a great reminder to our listeners. If, after listening to today's show, you believe you have any information or knowledge that could be useful to Dani and her group, Please send it to us at Future Diaries and we will pass it along. We know this isn't much, but it's the least we can do to help. Thank you. And yes, listeners, if any of you have found success surviving in similar circumstances, anything you can recommend would be greatly appreciated. Every day is a struggle here. Danny, I have to say, I find your story so compelling. As we listened to your diary and your broadcast, I felt anxious anticipation with each line not knowing what would happen next. Could you tell us more about your experience that day when you first met the survivors from the Children of the Earth? Had you ever heard of the group before? How did you first make contact and how did you make the decision to introduce yourself to them? Honestly, it all happened so fast. I visited the ruins of Old Berlin many times before and never seen another soul. I had become comfortable enough in my solitude there that I was taking no precautions to hide myself. When the first survivor emerged from the abandoned building, we both spotted each other instantly. There was no avoiding it. We locked eyes and it felt so surreal, not just because there was another human in such a desolate landscape, but also because she looked like she was stepping out of a time capsule. Her clothes resembled those I remember seeing in photos from 50 years ago, back when there was still a thriving fashion industry. And when she spoke, her dialect sounded more like radio broadcasts from my childhood. She was so young. A man called Mr. Orange emerged next, and I've mostly been conversing with him. Although the group has no leader now, he has proved to be the most interested in conversing with outsiders. It was he who first introduced himself as a member of the Children of the Earth, and at first I thought he must be joking. 
But then he took me to the underground bunker and I started putting the pieces together. He was telling the truth. I'm too young to remember when the children of the earth first disappeared. I vaguely remember hearing about them when I was a child, but it was mostly through rumours from the older children in our neighbourhood and from our parents, and they always held them up as an example of environmental extremism gone too far. The ecological collapse was always obvious to my generation, and we often organised and protested for adults and leaders to take more action to stop it. They would often reply, We've worked through environmental problems before and we'll manage these. Think of the children of the earth. Running away from these problems didn't help them. Oh, wow. I didn't realize the children of the earth were that much a part of the zeitgeist. Yes, well, as a group, I guess they did try to promote their cause and recruit members, at least until they entered the bunker. From the information I've been able to gather about your universe, it sounds like while conditions were deteriorating 50 years ago, scientists and engineers were still somewhat optimistic about being able to support large human populations. It also seems like people in many societies were at least beginning to realize the extent of ecological destruction and finding innovative solutions to cultivate or replace certain ecological functions with technology. So, ever since I first heard your diary broadcast last week, I've been curious to ask you, why do you think the children of the Earth decided to isolate themselves in the first place? People always assumed the children of the Earth had killed themselves, either on purpose or by accident. After they disappeared into their bunker, they were never heard from again and their bunker was never found. People wondered whether their bunker existed at all. It all seemed too far-fetched and mythical to me as a child, so I assumed it must have been a story older generations made up to scare their kids. And since the children of the earth cut off all communications with the outside world, they went around to let people know that they were doing fine. Over the past couple of weeks, I've had a chance to speak with a number of the oldest survivors, all of whom were children at the time the bunker was sealed off. They also showed me some of the materials the group's founders prepared and brought with them into the bunker, which they now consider sacred, but were willing to discuss with me. From what I've gathered, their parents had different reasons for joining the children of the earth. Some had been convinced it was their only chance for survival, while others believed they were taking part in a social experiment to see how long their group could endure. And others had developed a set of beliefs and spiritual practices relating to preserving life and saving the earth using advanced technologies. If they all agreed on anything, is that the scientists and political leaders had massively underestimated the extent of ecological devastation. And in retrospect, their leaders' teachings do appear tragically prophetic. And with the benefit of hindsight, what do you think was the single biggest mistake people made in your universe that led to ecological collapse? Honestly, I think it's hubris. Technology was advancing so quickly and making people's lives better in so many ways. In our universe, we even did reasonably well at sharing the benefits of technological advancement in an equitable way for over 100 years, which I understand isn't always the case across the multiverse. It's not that we didn't know about the environmental problems. It's just that previous generations always assumed that future generations would have more resources to deal with them. And for a while, they were right. But we didn't anticipate the ways problems would compound because we didn't understand how everything is connected. You mentioned in your diary and earlier in our interview that nothing grows in your world without significant cultivation using advanced technologies. You also mentioned that the children of the Earth 
were originally founded on principles of behavior change and technologically advanced farming practices. Could you tell us a little bit more about the relationship between technology and natural systems in your universe? Oh, where do I start? Um, when I was younger, I used to argue with people across the multiverse about this. Um, let's see. I know my universe's experiences aren't universally applicable, but we were far too confident in our ability to control and replace natural systems. In the early days of the ecological revolution, we were optimistic. It was all born of necessity. For example, once it was clear that pollinating bird and insect species populations were collapsing, creating a replacement became an urgent priority. We'd already domesticated so many plants and animals, how hard could it be to domesticate a few more? Unfortunately, domestication efforts failed. Luckily, before the pollinators went totally extinct, microrobotics had advanced enough to create artificial pollinators. But the pollinator species were also parts of complex food webs and their demise had knock-on effects on so many other species and eventually entire ecosystems began collapsing. It's been an arms race with species extinction to try to artificially recreate the benefits of biodiversity and to save as many species as we can. But producing these micro-robotic pollinators consumed so many resources that it began imposing economic constraints people were unaccustomed to. Whereas people had been highly cooperative during the Hundred Years' Peace, after the ecological revolution, societies were strained and tested and some began buckling under pressure. So I'd say the relationship between technology and natural systems in our universe is complicated. It's the cause of so many of our problems and yet we're dependent on it for our survival. That's an incredible history. Thank you for sharing it with us and our listeners. All right, we'd like to end with a question we often ask our guests. What message do you hope our audience will take away from your story? It's like my father used to say, nobody is good for nothing. Anybody can be a bad example. <laughs> I hope your audience can learn from our bad example. Ours is a cautionary tale of how bad things can get. I can't say I'm optimistic about our prospects for supporting large and thriving human societies and biodiverse ecosystems again. To give you an idea of just how bad things have gotten, I think the most helpful advice would likely come from spacefaring societies with experience in terraforming other planets. That's basically what we need to do to Earth in our universe. Also, I hope people living in better off universes will understand humans are not separate from the environment. They're a part of it. There was this strange paradox, at least in our universe, that the more complex and powerful our technologies became, the less we thought we had to care about the natural environment. In reality, the opposite is true. While we thought we could always invent a cleaner or more efficient way of doing something or a way to clean up the messes we were making, at some point, our technologies became so specialized and complex that our collective knowledge of natural systems dwindled. I'm afraid we put off responding to the warning signs for too long in our universe. So if you're listening, don't be like us. Insist your society understands it's a part of nature and lives accordingly. I guess no universe is perfect. But thank you, Danny. These are wise words. Thanks again for joining us today. We're wishing you the best of luck and we'll be in touch to pass along any suggestions for terraforming Earth, as you put it. That will do it for this episode of Future Diaries. And to you, our listeners, if you have enjoyed our show, 
Please subscribe to Future Diaries on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed in your universe. You can also visit our website at futurediaries.show, where you can find additional content about us and the universe we come from, as well as subscribe to our newsletter and find other ways to support the show. I'm Antonis. I'm Mike. And I'm Caitlin. We'll talk to you in, in the, the future. future.